Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to About Progress. This is episode 194, Slow Down to Start Living with Matt Davis. Welcome to About Progress. I am your host, Monica Packer, and I am here to guide you toward living the life you want. Each week, you'll hear interviews and teachings on how to balance self-development with self-acceptance. Listen in and join our community that knows life is about progress, not perfection. I want to start this episode by reminding you that we love to hear from you on this show. The last episode of each month is called Dear Progressor, where we get notes from our fellow progressors of the About Progress community. That's where you call in and tell us what you've learned from the show or what your life has taught you that you want to pass on to us. You can do that by recording a voice memo on your phone and emailing it to hello at aboutprogress.com or you can call a phone number, which you can find on my website aboutprogress.com slash beyond the show and you can do it that way. We need to hear from you. Today we get to hear from who has become a dear friend of mine, Matt Davis. Honestly, Matt was the first guy I had on the show and I was so nervous. I don't know why. 
probably because I don't normally talk to men about their problems, but he was so giving and he emailed me about his own life story that he had to share. And I was like, can we please have you on the show? And this is one of those episodes that I still think about all the time because of what Matt went through. Um, As a young adult, he lost his father to depression. His father took his own life. And Matt struggles with depression himself and has since he was a teenager. He decided he wanted to do things differently. He wanted to slow down to actually live. So what we hear from Matt today is a lesson on how life might need to look different than the world thinks it should for you. As a father and provider for his family, Matt decided that he wasn't going to do it the exact way he had been told to or taught to by society. And he instead wanted to slow things down and live a little bit differently. And if that meant less money and less um, opportunity or achievements, he was fine with that because he wanted to actually live his life and do that for his family. This month, we have been focusing on Take a Break. And many of the interviews, all of the interviews we've been sharing, these Encore episodes, are, are related to that theme in some way. What we hope you learn from Matt is how you can slow down to start really living your life. So even if that means taking a break and contemplating what needs to change in your life, what needs to be different, I hope that you can do that after you listen to this episode. After this original episode, I actually did an episode with Matt's wife, Celeste, who is also equally amazing. And then we recorded another episode with the two of them together about mental health within a marriage. So I have linked to both of those prior episodes in the show notes as well. Matt didn't ask me to share this, but he has started an amazing organization called Steel Yard Academy that is built to help men find balance in their work and family. So I have linked to that as well. Before we dive in, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. I'm, you know, really just a regular guy. I live in Las Vegas. I grew up in Utah. Moved down to Las Vegas about six years ago for a job in medical sales. And I have four kids. I have a, an 11-year-old girl, a mm-hmm. 7-year-old boy, and a 3-year-old boy, and a 2-year-old boy. Wow. So, full house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I attended the University of Utah and... I've just been working in Vegas for the last six years. The majority of my family is still in Utah. Uh, I really enjoy, you know, just doing regular guy stuff. I go to the gym with my wife. I play a little golf. I do a little cycling. I definitely like the weather better better in Las Vegas than I do uh, did in Utah. Oh, yeah. I don't have to deal with the snow. Mm-hmm. So other than that, I just, uh, I've really been focused the last few years on just how to have a balanced and happy life. And that's really what interested me in what you're doing. Hmm. Well, that's why I'm glad to have you have you on. There's a whole string of events in your life that seems to have ignited that focus for you in your life. And I was wondering if you could please tell us the same story that you told me. And, you know, I, I just feel like it's better coming from you, what, what you said. Uh, ri- originally, when I wrote you, I figured, you know, the story for me really started when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a captain of the sophomore football team and really enjoyed playing football and and doing those types of events. And then also I was trying to be competitive in school. And I had, you know, your honors English, your AP biology and different courses like that. And overall, I was very social and happy. I'd been in, you know, student government positions uh, in junior high and other things. And so very social. And then 
I noticed that once in a while I'd get into class and I would start feeling these feelings like, oh, what's going on? I just would feel really low, wouldn't feel like myself. Mm-hmm. And once in a while I, I would get so scared that I would feel like I just needed to like run away from class or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't identify what it was. So it would happen once in a while. You know, I'd look at the clock and then I'd get hit with a zinger of, you know, just feeling really low or feeling really scared. And then, you know, later I'd go to football, but there was no correlation of when it would happen or why exactly it would happen. So after a little bit of time, I finally approached my parents and just said, Hey, something's not right. This keeps getting worse. I keep having these events. And so they started trying to figure things out. And one idea was that I might have hypoglycemia. And the other one was that I may have, you know, an anxiety and panic disorder. And so I got tested for hypoglycemia from a family physician. And I also started going to a child therapist. And then it started becoming very clear that I was suffering from something with anxiety, depression. Mm-hmm. My brother was a senior and there'd be days where I just have to run home and just compose myself. I even had a counselor in high school that it was like a safe zone for me where I could go and just cry my eyes out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, you know, I think I was around six foot, six foot two, 200 pounds in high school. And I'd have to go find a, a secret place to cry. You know, this guy mm-hmm. that's trying to bench press the world or whatever. And mm-hmm. I just felt like the, the world's, you know, weakest person, kind of like a coward almost. Mm-hmm. But through medication and through counseling, I was able to make it through high school football my sophomore year. Yeah. Things just started happening again and getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the coaches would find out that I'd missed a day of school and they'd they'd come and talk to me and be like, hey, you just need to relax, man. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm trying to relax. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just don't know how to relax. You know, I'd run plays that I'd done wrong in my head over and over again, or I'd think about assignments in school that I was struggling with, and something just wasn't clicking to where I could bounce back and be myself. Yeah. And so, finally, I just talked to my parents, and I just said, I gotta, I gotta just stop playing football and just hmm. get better. Yeah. And so they were, they were supportive, and, you know, they dealt with it the year before, and I was able to make it through. And then we went and met with the coaches, and of course they're like, "Well, you, we need you to play against Skyline next week. You know what are we <laughs> going to do if you're not here to play against Skyline?" You know, so I ended up quitting football, and subsequently, with that happening, I just grew apart from my friends that had been my friends all through little league and other things. Hmm. And uh, so I, that one really hurt because I felt like, okay, I, I lost this one, and then I lost my friends. Yeah. And just really set me adrift in high school. I was able to play, you know, basketball and baseball still and and be somewhat social. But the relationships with my friends were just never the same in high school. And that was something that just hurt me for a long time. Yeah. So then following my my freshman year, I was actually called on on an LDS mission to Brussels, Belgium. Hmm. I'd be leaving in June. Hmm. So I was excited to go. My, My father was the you know, in charge of our, our ward or parish, what we don't, what you would call it as our bishop. Yeah. And he ended up sending me out. So while in the MTC, I just started having some of these really overwhelming feelings again. 
So they started sending me some medication. I met with the counselor of the MPC and just tried to plug along and have, you know, good days, bad days. And by the time I got done, I'd ended up losing a ton of weight. Hmm. Was really, had really spiraled out of control and just was really in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So they finally just said, you know, you probably need to go home and get better. Hmm. And for me, that was just really devastating because, of course, I, you know, that was like the event of my life. That's what you prepare for forever. Mm-hmm. And you get to go to this exotic place in Europe and learn language. Yeah. And so that was disappointing. So then coming, my dad had helped me with some different things. I said, you know, I've kind of felt some similar things, and these are things that have helped me. But then while home, I was just a little bit adrift. I, you know, took minimal hours of school and just was really, you know, upset how everything went. So what happened from there? I mean, you're going through that really isolating time, and, and you're feeling like you're missing out on, yet again, some big life experiences. You've already had to let go of some things that you loved, you know, football and friends. And now, and now this important experience that you wanted to be part of your mission. What went on from there? Yeah. So, I I mean, I feel, you know, I just feel like a loser. I mean, just to be frank about it, I just felt like a loser. You know, what am I, am I going to just be a minimalist for the rest of my life and just have to do the minimal effort in order to keep my sanity about me? Mm Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of these feelings of doubt and just trying to find my way. Yeah. And then, you know, while at home, I had a, I had a girlfriend that was very supportive. And one night her and I were watching a movie. It was a Saturday night. And my, you know, my dad came down and said, Hey, when, uh, when your girlfriend goes home, will you just make sure and let me know? And, you know, it's typical with parents. They just want you to check in and, and make sure that everybody makes it home safely and everything. Well, then on his way up the stairs, he's like, hey, one more thing. Uh, do you know where the keys are to the gun cabinet? I said, well, yeah, they're just on the hook in the garage. You know, in my mind, I just figured, hey, he's checking things out. We always had grandkids over for dinner on Sundays, and he was probably just, you know, buttoning things up. Mm-hmm. So then I went to bed. And then early that morning, you know, two or three in the morning, I can't even remember, my mom came and got me and she's like, Hey, have you seen dad? And I said, mm-hmm. no, I haven't seen dad. <laughs> I've been asleep. So then, you know, I drifted back to sleep. You know, she came back downstairs and woke me up and she said, Hey, your dad's dead. I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. So I, you know, woke up and got my wits about me and what? didn't really know what was going on. So I ran to the backyard and you know, saw my dad in the backyard where he'd, mm-hmm. you know, where he'd shot himself. And I just, you know, I was in shock. I went up and, you know, couldn't tell anything was wrong with him. And, you know, then I found out that, you know, something was wrong with him. And, and, uh, I just, I couldn't believe it. it was, you know, I was just in shock. So, you know, my, my older brother who had, was, you know, 20, 21 or 22 at the time, he was there with us and then my mom was, was still at home. And so it was, it was an interesting time to say the least. So that was at the six month mark after being home from my shortened mission. Oh, wow. So what, 
you know, looking back, I'm sure you can now say like, oh, why didn't I pick up on this or that? But I mean, people, people are good at hiding these things. Now that you are ahead of it, what can you say looking back was going on with your dad? Well, that's the big reason why I'm so outspoken. I mean, who wants to get on and say, hey, you know, look at all the ways I failed in life and, and look at look at me that, you know, I still struggle with some of these feelings. And the reason why I do that was really that, you know, that gunshot that changed everybody's life and that I, I, I don't hold anything over my dad's head as far as when he got to that point. I mean, that's terrible. I feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. That he that things got that bad, but I I really do feel like he made a mistake that he didn't ever open his mouth and just say, hey, you know, something you know something's not right or I don't feel good. And so, by the time he did start talking, it was you know at the end of a you know, at the end of a gun. Mm-hmm. And I, in my opinion, it should have been more of a, hey, I need to take a step back. You know that. Again, there's so much pressure. He was a business owner. He was, you know, the leader of a congregation at church. And I just really question, okay, do, is there sometimes that we do need to take a step back before we take a few steps forward? And so that was the big lesson learned from him. And then also in a way, in, in kind of a weird way, it was somewhat validating to me where hmm. I just thought I was, you know, kind of a coward, kind of a not being able to handle life. But then I, you know, started scratching my head and saying, oh, maybe there's something a little bit more to this. Maybe there's some science or some genetics behind it. Yeah. And so it, in a way it kind of helped me understand that, hey, this is a real thing. And I'd, I'd like to get out in front of it and maybe talk to people and say, hey, you know, these, this is how I feel. This is my life. And if you're feeling this way, just know that, you know, you're not the only one, that there's other people that may look around, you know, work or other places that look like they're just happy as can be, but they, you know, do feel a little bit of cloud, a little cloud over their head or something like that. Mm-hmm. What was the response of the community? Did people circle around you and your family or was, were there some other difficulties with that? Well, you know, in, people are curious. And so they, they want to know what happened or, you know, if there was anything foreboding that maybe caused this. And so you do have that element, Mm -hmm. but overall as a family, we felt lifted by the community that we were involved with. I mean, we wouldn't have been able to get through it without the people that helped it. There was, you know, specific men that came out and, and gave talks at his funeral that were, that their talks that I read all the time that were just amazing that just really gave a lot of insight to what, you know, he did and to how to get through it. And so amazing things came from it. Mm -hmm. And one of them, it was just back to kind of your question was, did you feel like you should have noticed or done something? And in one of those great talks, it was just, no, you can't go back and think about the what ifs. Because if we do that in life, then it's just going to destroy us. It's going to eat at us. And if it was meant to be something that we could have stopped and really we, we as a family believed that, you know, that would have come up and we, we could have helped. Well, and a lot of it is, um, 
his agency, you know, it was your dad's choice to keep that to himself. And I mean, it doesn't come down to what you could prevent. It's you can only offer someone help if, if they show they need it. Yep. Yeah. My, I talked with my sister and I guess he, you know, he had Prozac in his desk at his office for, I don't know how long, never, never took one. (laughs) So if he's, so, you know, if he's not willing to, he wasn't willing to, you know, get the help he needed, then unfortunately just, you know, bad things happen. And again, that's why I'm so outspoken where it's, Hey, let's, let's get some help. Let's try and figure out what works. Let's try and try a little bit of this or a little bit of that and, and get things going. Just because you were a, a guy and now you're a man, your father was a man. There was that whole level of of pressure there to uphold this image of control. Do you feel like that, that was a part of this? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier. Starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, I think if you talk to pretty much any man, and I, and I, I, don't, I don't know well enough to, to speak for women, but if you talk to people in general, the number one motivator in our lives is fear of failure. We just, it eats at us. We just do not want to fail. Yeah. If it gets right down to it, then that's that's what just is going to terrify us. And, and of course, there is an element of that to where if you reach out and ask for help or approach somebody and say, "Hey, I'm really struggling," well, in in essence, that's a failure. And so, to have that be perceived is is difficult. Then on top of that, you know, men were you know we're primitive hunters, right? We we want to kill our food and eat it and that's you know the prize that we're going to bring back to the family and so if we're not bringing those external rewards then our value can not be what we think it is you know it's hey i just i just got this big promotion or hey i'm leading this group of people or you know these external things that we really you know wear on our sleeve as being these amazing things but then on the inside it's okay does that stuff really matter as much as how are you doing and, and how's your life going? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but it's a little bit different for me after going through all these events to where I'm more concerned about how things are going rather than the external. I'm just really impressed by how you, how you've turned that around. I I feel like you're not making yourself a victim and it would have been so much easier to just own that that's you know that sadness in a way that you you would let it control your life and you're trying to take that back 
you know, you got to keep in mind that a lot of things that happen or that have happened, I, I just think are miracles. And I think that there are forces in our lives that we can't even describe that are helping us along. And, and they're also allowing us to fail at certain times too. Mm-hmm. But six months after my dad passed away, I was able to actually return and finish an LDS mission. Oh, wow. And the, the big part of that for me was um, that that I was able to, to finish that. And so for the first time in my life, even though I had massive amounts of anxiety and other things on, on this mission, I had that one moment in my life where I had kind of defeated the thing that had defeated me so many times before. Mm-hmm. And so to have that peak experience, I can always go back to that and say, yeah. okay, things got pretty rough there, but I can always go back and say, no, no matter what, I can handle this. I have a new baseline that I can draw from. Mm-hmm. And so it was really rewarding. You know, my dad, of all people that I'm going to quote, he would always say, you know, we all have our own dragons. Yeah. And they're just going to keep coming back until, until we slay them. And so I finally came home from that mission and feeling like I'd slayed that dragon. Or more importantly, I felt like I made up my friend, you know, because <laughs> huh. I knew that the dragon really wasn't going to go away. But rather, yeah. hey, now we're friends and I get you and you're helping me to live a better life and keeping me in balance. And in turn, I, I feel rewarded from that. How it seems like your refusal to allow the suffering to be silent was also a big way of how you made this dragon your friend too. Is there some more you can say on that? Well, it's so I got home from, you know, from going to Australia and I was, you know, really excited to be home Yeah, back on track. I was going to get back in school and everything else. And that had anxiety and depression left me. No, not really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got home and had a good period. And then you know, a few years later, after being married for a little while and, and getting ready for our first child, I started having really bad anxiety and depression. I was really worried about how I'd provide for my family. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I decided to medicate again mm-hmm. and, you know, just get back on track. And we, I, when I talk to my mom, I just always call it a baseline. Yeah. Because my big thing is I don't want to get to a point where I'm in more trouble than I think I am and, and really, mm-hmm. really sick. Which, interestingly enough, it's, why wouldn't I do that? Or why wouldn't people do that? I mean, you go and see a guy that has, you know, some sort of chronic disease or something else. And he's like, oh, hey, I got to take it easy. Or I got to take my blood pressure medication. Or, hey, I just tore my ACL, so I got to go rehab it for a little while. And I got to go to rehab every day. Hmm. Well, it's like, okay, you're, you're going to go see a physical therapist, but somehow going to see like a real therapist for like what's going on in your mind that's different somehow yeah well it's different because again it's that external thing that you hurt your leg and people can see that and empathize whereas describing your feelings is just it's how are you going to do that accurately and how do people know whether you're you know a charlatan that's just just taking advantage of having depression or whether those feelings that you have are real. Hmm. And so I got back on that medication and, and things were good and we just continued on. 
and really the end of my story was, you know, what I felt like I needed to send you in my message was I recently just went to an awards uh, type ceremony for the company I work for. You know, they, we, uh, I was able to win a trip to Jamaica that is so for cool. having a great sales year and really accomplishing a lot. Yeah. And, you know, in, in my, in my email to you, I was like, yeah, look at me. I'm, I'm <laughs> six foot two. I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I won this award, good sales guy, but you know, on the inside, I was like really struggling with depression. Mm-hmm. And so I got home from that awards trip and just talked to my wife and said, Hey, I think I need to maybe medicate or, or see a counselor. And it's been about five years since I've, you know, medicated or anything like that. Typically just doing exercise and other things, keep me on track. Mm-hmm. But the point of it was, is that that was awesome to win an award. And, and the, the other point is that I'm actually really dang happy. Like I really love life. Life yeah. is awesome. But once in a while, it's just, I get a cloud in my head or whatever it is that just hurts. It just feels like pain, you know? And so that's just part of my life. And I actually really love it. Like, I really love having that element of who I am. And I know that it sounds strange to have depression and being a really happy person coexist in the same sentence. But I just I really feel that way. So what, what does that look like then for you? How, how do you find this all coming up um, in a, in, within your business? And, and, and how are you able to help others in just your day-to-day life? Well, I think a big part of it is just after seeing how all, you know, all the complexities of being a person add up. I think for me in business, I've always just been able to take a balanced approach. And that's been my goal and so I've just really been focused on balance and, you know, how can I help that in a work environment? How could I help facilitate people spending more time with their family if they're not spending enough time? Or how, to, how can I help them take a minute for themselves and take a break? You know, if my dad had just taken a step back and said, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to take a two-week sabbatical and just, you know, go and get exercise and really clear things out, he would have very quickly realized that, the success of his company, despite, you know, you know, you need to earn a living for your family, the success, the success of his company maybe wasn't as big a deal as he thought it was. Hmm. I mean, I would have loved to have, I would love to interview him now or, you know, interview him at 70 years old and say, okay, dad, you, you made all this money in your business. And he was a good dad. Yeah. You made all this money in your business with that money that you earned and all those experiences, what would you buy back? Hmm. Would you buy back a little bit more time for yourself? You know, would you have picked up a hobby? Would you have bought back maybe a little bit more time with, you know, one of your kids or with your spouse? And so it just goes back to that whole external thing of being a man. We're just, we're just pounding that drum. We're going to go, you know, kill the biggest elephant we can. And, Sometimes I just wonder if we if we aren't asking why enough. Hey, why why am I doing this? What's really going to be the most effective thing for my family, and what's going to be the most effective thing for me? So, well, I think a common thread for everyone, like you said, uh, fear of failure drives us in so many ways. But how to take that back? From what I'm hearing you saying, is 
to own our weaknesses. And as you own our weaknesses, our limitations, we're more empowered to actually live a better life than we would have otherwise. I want to know, like, how, how does that look for you then? I mean, you've talked about how, how you've helped others, but what does owning your weaknesses look like in your life and how has it empowered you to live with this dual side that you talked about of really happy and enjoying your life and, and, and keeping the right perspectives in mind, but also dealing with, you know, the day to day of what it might look like for someone who, who has these periods of depression. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I I just I, I think that a lot of times it goes back to the fact that, and it's like you're saying, our our biggest talents are usually our greatest weaknesses too. I think for me, just having the having depression or, or some of these introspective feelings, it can be really good to navigate and see how people are doing and just try to to fix things or see how, th- how things are going in their life and try and interject things that are happy and things that are good. But at the same time, you know, I may be limited in what I do just because I feel too much, but hopefully I just, the approach for me is hopefully I can look back at, at my life and say, Hey, this was, this was time well spent. And I, I really think that in order to really get in balance, it, it just takes service. You know, whenever the scales tip in the wrong direction, I feel like the the application that is going to help bring things back in line is just serving others. And so hopefully by seeing my kids or my wife or people in business or in the community, hopefully by knowing the ways I felt, I can look at them and say, hey, if I could serve them in this way, then that's going to help maybe bring things back into balance and help them. And then hopefully down the road, we have enough, you know, good experiences that ended up being a pretty good life. And now you, you are living a successful life. I mean, you worried, um, in, in, in that period between being, you know, being home, you were talking about, am I always going to live a minimal life, just giving the minimal effort and you've moved past that. And, you're really successful at what you do. I mean, clearly you have, um, a great perspective that is blessing your family and blessing those around you. And I just want to know, how are you able to be successful in what you're doing, um, with your career and, and still, and still have balance too, and not let that fear paralyze you that I'm sure comes up. And so I had a really good career run there. And I was home at night for my kids, but I was so exhausted from the job that I just really didn't feel, I felt like my family was getting the leftovers of me, hmm. you know, even though I really tried to be mindful and present for them, I just, the energy wasn't there. And then also with that schedule, it's just, you don't really have time to go and like work out or have a little bit of a hobby. You just kind of do work, church, family and they get the leftovers. And so after, you know, five years of doing that, it was again, approaching my wife, which that's a whole other thing to talk about with in regards to having some mental illness is just having that person that is, is really seeing things in a clear vision and in a clear way for you. But I approached her and just said, Hey, I feel like things are out of balance. I just feel like 
we're not in the spot that we need to be. I feel like if I keep going down this road, then I'm going to really just sell myself to work. And so we took a step back and just started really thinking about things and, and pondering things and doing all the things that LDS people do. Mm-hmm. And we felt like something would come up that would, would provide better for our family with not only financials, but with the ability to spend more time together. Mm-hmm. And so shortly after that experience, I was actually headhunted from another company and they asked me to come work for them. And I really struggled with leaving the, the other medical job because I was, you know, in management on a path to, to own a distributor and do, you know, really great things. And I was like, oh, I'll have to, I'll have to start over is what it felt like. Yeah. And uh, so after just, you know, getting different counsel and talking to different people, we decided, hey, this is what's best for our family. And it would end up being you know, right around a, a 20% pay cut. My wife sat, my wife and I sat down and said, what are we really trying to buy out of life? And does the extra 20% of income make a difference if we don't have the ability to spend that with one another? Hmm. You know, is it going to make a difference to our kids if we spend our vacation in Hawaii or if we just spend a vacation together in Las Vegas? I mean, the, my kids are going to, the time with my kids is going to be the most valuable thing. So I took that job about a year ago and I get to see my kids off to school every morning, which I hadn't been doing. I get to, you know, come home and see them at night and have leftover energy. And so that was another balancing moment in my life. It was just, it was really, has been a good experience for my family. So taking into account what you have learned about yourself, what would you say to someone who might be back you know, a decade ago and, and facing that life that you were thinking that you were going to face a life of minimal effort or a life of, uh, of being paralyzed in, in some ways that you weren't wanting to be. So what, what would you say to that person about what the next decade could hold for them and the lessons that they can have just like you? Well, I think the big thing is just to turn failure upside down, where if you if you read good literature, if you read good books about people who have been very successful, I mean, I'll just name a couple. If you read Shoe Dog by the, the, the starter of Nike, Phil Knight, oh, yeah. or if you read Steve, if you read Steve Young's book, QB, if you read, you know, some of these really great books about people who've lived amazing lives, they are amazing failures because (laughs) you you can see that constantly in their lives where they fail. And so my big thing is just, just let go and and (laughs) consider yourself a failure and consider yourself to be in very good company to those people who've, who've done the same. But the difference between them and everyone else is that they, they just, learn from that failure and kept going, you know, one foot in front of the other. And so that's been the biggest thing for me is looking back. I, I always looked back on uh, high school as, man, I, I could have done so much more with football and I could have had such better friends. And that was really something that just stung me for years. And now looking back, it's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give that back for anything because I failed so hard 
and it made life so much better. And so just fail and then, you know, figure out how you're going to get back from it. Who Who's going to help you? Who's going to be that mentor that you talk to? Who's going to be that person that lifts you up? And then who are you going to lift up when you get to the point where you're doing well? And so I guess that's the final thought is, you know, how do we switch that and, and make that failure into a success? Well, I think you should write a book. <laughs> I am dead serious. I think you just have an incredible voice. I know you're a good writer for one, just even your email alone was just an, an amazing piece of writing. So you are incredible. Thank you so much for reaching out to me and being so willing to share your story with, with everyone. Thank you, Matt. I am so glad you listened to get the hug and kick in the pants you needed to grow. Let's take your learning to the next level. Print off this month's progress plan that is free by going to my website about progress.com slash free. Also join our free and private Facebook group called a work in progress via the link in my show notes, which you can also find on my website about progress.com. And best of all, be heard on this show. Be featured on the last episode of each month that is called Dear Progressor, where our listeners really, really shine. To learn how to do this, go to aboutprogress.com slash be on the show. You do have something of great value to share with this community, and we all need to hear you. Thank you so much for being here. And remember, life is about progress, not perfection. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.